This audio is from King's Cross Church in Independence, Missouri. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit kingscrosskc.com. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 8, beginning in verse 39. Uh, This can be found on page 894 of the Pew Bibles. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Pastor Orion. It is so good to be with you guys this morning to pick up in John. Uh, we're going to finish John 8 today, uh, and I'm, I'm super happy. Uh, this has been such a rich chapter in this, um, this, this ongoing conversation that we're seeing, so we'll do that. I'm actually not going to go super long today, and I hesitate to say that for two different reasons. <clears throat> One, the last time I said it, um, I got a standing ovation from somebody, so, um, so I'm a little nervous about that. And then the second reason is... Um, um, yeah, you just, you might not believe me. So I don't know if you ever heard the joke um, with the, the dad and the son sitting on the front row in a church 
and the, the preacher gets to the part where he says, in closing, and the son turns to his father and says, Dad, what does in closing mean? And the, and the father turns to his son and says, nothing. It means absolutely nothing. <clears throat> if you've been here for a decade, I'm sorry that you had to hear that again, but it gets a laugh every time. So... Uh, hey, I, I want you to think about quotes this morning. I want you to think about like famous quotes that you know. Um, there's, um, there's just vernacular. There's, there's, there's idioms um, that are in our culture that are famous. Um, great quotes throughout history that we love to put on mugs and T-shirts and pictures and 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 you name it. Like we love to immortalize quotes, and and they're no little thing either. I don't want to triv- trivialize them too much because. Because they've sparked movements, like just three or four words said at the right time in the right way with the right potency. Um, they've sparked movements. They've motivated magnificent change in our society. And at times they've embodied such truth or some sort of like peculiar kind of wisdom that it has caused them to live on, like to just sort of live on in the consciousness of society and us. Let me give you a few of those quotes um, that you may find to be familiar. Quotes like Walt Disney's, if you can dream it, you can do it. Or who isn't moved every time that you hear the voice of Martin Luther King Jr. say, I have a dream. Nietzsche had many great quotes, but one of them was, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. Or Winston Churchill's stern encouragement, if you're going through hell, keep on going. Far less stern, but no less powerful were the words we heard at a bus stop. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And the world hung on these words as they witnessed one of the most historic achievements of the human race. That's one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. And the great theologian, most recently, Travis Kelsey said, you've got to fight for your right to party, or more recently, know your role and shut your mouth. These are among some of the most famous quotes in our culture, but today what we've just heard and witnessed was a quote that eclipses all of them put together. And Jesus says in the verse 58, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And we're going to see today why this phrase caused the hearers of those words, those simple words, to pick up a stone and try to take his life with it. Like, why did it cause that? So let's pray, and then we'll jump into the text. We'll, we'll, we'll observe the conversation together, and then I have, like, three things I want to say about it before we end our time. Father, we uh, thank you for this morning. I thank you for um, just the preciousness of being able to gather and to um, feel just um, the light energy of our room today. And I know that that has a lot to do with what comes next, but... Um, 
I also know that like you're sovereign over all of humanity, all of circumstances, all of time, and you have a purpose for us this morning. So as we worship this morning, like I'm not forgetting that we ended last week watching four people get into the water behind me and publicly proclaiming their faith in you as Lord and as Messiah and as a Savior. And and it wasn't even just witnessing um, the stories of transformation that I heard, but it was even just the the way in which the room filled with excitement and and, uh, shouting and clapping. And I know like that we cannot like match that moment this morning maybe, but I also know that we can't come into contact with your word and your presence and leave on the same level. So spirit, would you grip us in your power and in your love and would you breathe into us new life and refreshment today? Help me to speak only what you would have me speak. It's your holy name we pray in Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, if you remember, we're in this section of John where Jesus is having all of these conversations with all these people at this feast, and it's a week-long thing that the Jews did for, um, to, to sort of recognize that God led them out into the wilderness and through the wilderness and into the promised land. And so Jesus is having all these conversations with pe- these people. And the conversation wasn't just like, um, hey, what's your deal, Jesus? And he's like, oh, I'm a prophet. I sometimes do some cool stuff. I'm, I'm smart and I do things, right? Like it wasn't, that's not how the conversation has gone at all. Jesus is saying in this, in this celebration, this week-long thing, he'll come to a place and he'll say, hey, listen, um, the bread that you're celebrating, that bread, I'm the bread of life. I'm better than the manna that came from heaven. And then he, you know, he'll encounter the, the living water and he'll say, I'm the living water that, 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 that is better than the water that, that, that flowed out of the rock. I give life in abundance. He, he, he goes on to say, I'm the light of the world. And so he's saying like, I'm like the pillar that led God's people But more than that, I am the presence of God and I am light, not just to God's people in a region at a time. I'm the light of the world. I illuminate the world with the truth about who God is. And so at each step, Jesus is saying, hey, all this, all this stuff that you're doing, Jewish nation, it all points back to me. And, and, and they don't understand that. And, the, and so uh, these aren't just normal encounters, though, that, that he's having. They're confrontational at times. <laughs> and uh, as we've seen through the book, people encounter Jesus. And each time that they encounter him, they, 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 they get stuck on who he is. He does something miraculous and he does something amazing. And then they sort of struggle with it. And he'll say more about that. And, and it just seems like what's happening in this story as it goes on and on is that the tension seems to be rising a little bit. I don't know if you've been in a room or at a table or something where there's like kind of an ongoing thing and you just feel the tension is is sort of rising up a little bit and the Pharisees are getting more and more threatened by Jesus as time goes on and you just can sense something's going to happen. Like something something is going to happen that's that's crazy. And last week we see Jesus 
say to them, hey, you guys, you guys are slaves to sin. And he has this conversation with them that they may not be Abraham's offspring, which will continue today. I mean, we've heard that in our, in our, in our text. In the power statement last week, Jesus said that you can feel deep down, as one of those favorite quotes, is if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. They're like, man, we haven't been in slavery our whole lives. We don't even have that identity. And so that's the conversation that, that we're in right now. We'll pick it up in verse 39. And it says like, it says this, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Now growing up, I, um, I sort of like had, I didn't feel like I looked like my dad and I didn't really, I thought I'm, I'm like 50% my mom's side, which is our Native American side and 50% my dad's side, which is like Welsh, Irish. And, and uh, so I like, I could see my grandpa in me. I could, you know, I could, I, but I was just like, I don't know. And there was even times where some of like our family conversations and stories was like, maybe I'm somebody else's child. Like, um, and so, uh, but it was when I hit 40, honestly, when I hit 40, things became pretty clear to me. And if you've, I, I'm not going to show you a picture of my father, who I'm probably the spitting image of, um, because one, there's not many pictures of him. Two, you'd just be like distracted for the rest of the time. You wouldn't hear anything. I said he didn't take a lot of pictures and they were colorful when he did. So, but clear to me, clear to me, like I am my father's son. Like I don't need a DNA test. There's no paternity thing that's in question for me. I am his son and I have inherited so much from him. Some good, some bad. I've inherited no, no inheritance of money. Uh, that, that wasn't in my story. Um, but temperament, certainly. Addiction, yes. Uh, like a lot of things from my dad. And uh, some, some very good, like a sense of mercy and a sense of justice and rightness in the world. And so um, that's, that's a reality. And, and sort of like what, what is happening here is they're saying, hey, Abraham, he's our dad. He's, we're in his line, and that means a lot to a Jewish person. They're saying, we're in Abraham's line, and we're direct descendants of Abraham's blessing. That, that through us, God has chosen to bless the world. Like, we stand there in that channel of God's blessing to the world. That's what they're saying. He's our father, and our inheritance is that God said to Abraham, I will bless the entire world through you and through your children. And they're like, hey, Jesus, we don't know who you are. That's who we are. That's our identity. That's our inheritance. That's our family lineage. That's who we are. So Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, and, and man, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. It's like, hey, you may think you're his children, but you're not lining up with any of that. Like that, none of it. You're not living up to what he has, the path that he was on. 
you may think you're his children. What's the path? Like, what did Abraham do then? Well, we find in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, a little bit about that in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of that same promise, for he was looking forward, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham, what did he do? He obeyed God. God, God came to Abraham, God said, here's what I'm doing, Abraham's like, cool, let's do that. And Verse 10, he was looking forward to the city that, ha that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham didn't count on anything but God. He didn't count on anything but God. And Jesus is saying to them, look, you don't, you don't look very much like your father Abraham. You don't look very much like him. You're not acting like him. In fact, as a, as a matter of fact, I cannot see your righteousness at all. Like, that's what he's saying to them. He's starting to sort of unravel their identity and the things that they're sort of counting on in life. And that's kind of what Jesus always is doing. It reveals that the Jews in this moment, they're not actually counting on God. They're not actually holding tightly to faith. They're doing this thing where they're covering the weakness of their identity with their religion. That's something that we could do. That's not just for the Jews. That's something that we could do as Christians in the church today. Like we could start counting on things other than Christ in this life. Our good living, our savvy budgeting, our good parenting. Like we, could, we can start to count on other things other than the root of what is our faith. And that's what Jesus is trying to show them. He's saying, look, if you're Abraham's children, I can't see the resemblance. Maybe we need a DNA test. That's what he's saying. Verse 41, you're doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. Whoa. What? Hold up. Like, so he's saying, you're doing the works your father did. He's like, you're not Abraham's children. He's talking about somebody else as their father. And they quickly respond to him. We weren't born of sexual immorality. You ever had that kind of feeling where, where somebody's like attacking you and then just something flies out of your mouth like you're, and you wish you could put that back in? Like it was like, it just, you redlined and that's what happened here. It's like, they know the story of Jesus' birth. Like that, that was a pretty popular thing that happened. Like they know who this guy is by now. His family story about how his mom became pregnant out of wedlock and Joseph was going around saying, I don't, I don't know who the dad is. Like, and, and, and so they know the story, right? Like they're just, and they're like, hey, you want to talk about us? Who's your daddy? Right? Like that's, who, that's what they're saying. Who's, who's your dad? You're, you're born in sexual immorality. Like that's what happened here. Like it just went through the roof. You're like, okay, what's going to happen next? Right? Because you just insulted the creator of the earth 
who holds the whole world together by the power of his word and is the most powerful thing in the whole universe. Like, I mean, what's going to happen next if he like stood up and angry Superman lasers came out of his eyes and he just cut the place up? You, you wouldn't be surprised. No one talks about Jesus's mama like that, right? Like things are bad in the conversation if somebody's talking about your mom, right? Like that's, that's what we just witnessed. Jesus said to them, verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me. I bet that was sort of hard to hear at that moment. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? I think Jesus knew what he was asking there. He's sort of like, hey, maybe think about what I just said. I come from God. If he were your father, if God were your father, you would love me. This is evidence. This is evidence that you're not from God. This is evidence that there isn't a sort of faith that's robust in us when somebody doesn't love Jesus, somebody doesn't love the gospel. So he's extending his critique right here. Notice this. He's extending his critique that they're not just not children of Abraham, they're not in the spiritual lineage of God. That's some bad news. Hey, it's not just that you are not good Jews. You're not in Abraham's lineage. You're not in the line of what it means to be God's people and to see his abundance and to see his kingdom on earth. You're not just that. You're actually not in the spiritual lineage of God. That's bad news for them, but it's the truth. And he asks in 43, hey, why, don't, why do you think you don't understand that? Yeah, it seems so clear from where I'm standing right now. It seems so clear, but, 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 but there's something to, to ponder. It's something to understand. Hey, why could they miss what they missed? He says, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You cannot bear to hear my word. Man, that phrase... When he gives the explanation and the understanding of that, that's sort of hard to hear too. Because the people listening to him have devoted their entire lives to hearing and understanding God's word. Like amongst any people group who have ever lived, it was them who have studied the scriptures, who had devoted their entire lives to doing that as experts, every one of them. But they can't hear it. Even as the words are coming out of Jesus's mouth and as they're becoming scripture in the living word, right? Like right there in front of him, they can't stand it. Sort of the opposite of what we would expect. Why? I have to know why, despite the right upbringing, the right education, being in the right neighborhood, having the right parents, they could still miss it. And so can we. Jesus goes on to explain in 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and not 
and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I'd love to do some doctrine on the devil right now. That, that'd be um, a lot of fun. We don't have a lot of time for that. But what, does, what Jesus is saying about the devil is, hey, he's a murderer. He has no truth in him. He only lies. And he doesn't just lie sometimes. He's by nature a liar, and he's the source of lies. And he's where lies actually come from. He's the opposite of truth. And let's be clear, as Jesus goes on, he's like, and remember, you know, Abraham isn't your dad. He is not your dad. This guy is. This guy is. It reminds me of the passage in, in the New Testament says that the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbeliever. So if you don't see Jesus as the gospel, the good news is being proclaimed to you. What Jesus is saying is, listen, the God of this world is actually blinding you from that. And so it's our job to proclaim through the power of the Spirit the gospel, both in word and in deed, embodying it in our whole life, so that as God's will is carried out in this world, he, His Spirit will cause the regeneration and the washing of hearts to bring people to faith in Him through that good news. That's what we are to do. That's what we are to embody. That is the good news amongst the bad news that the folks are getting right now. Verse 45, but because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not from God. I'm the great shepherd and my sheep hear my voice and they come to me. He's going to talk a lot about that in the coming weeks, especially as he gets to his high priestly prayer in John. And um, it's profound. It's profound. Jesus just said, you're not hearing the truth about the good news about me, the gospel, not because of an intellectual misunderstanding. That's not why you're not hearing it. It's not because Jesus needs to be more contextualized to them. It's not that reason either. It's not because Jesus hasn't arranged his argument tightly enough, philosophically enough, intellectually enough. It's none of those things. It's because they can't handle the truth. They can't handle it because it's not in them. But they're not going to sit there and take that from him either. <laughs> they're not going to sit there and take these things from Jesus. And so verse 48, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? <laughs> right? Like, I mean, it's just like at every, every, every movement, everything that Jesus says, it just seems to get crazier and crazier. And at this point, it feels a little childish. It feels a little childish. But you know what? Resistance to the gospel, it is childish. It is childish. It doesn't make any sense at all. And that's what Jesus is exposing. Verse 49, he answers them, I, don't, I do not have a demon. I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, 
Now we know that you have a demon. Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, that yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? It's sort of escalating back and forth between them. He answered them in verse 54, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I'd be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. It's like this um, conversation is like, Jesus is like, listen, I'm getting ready to say something. <laughs> like, and it's sort of like this part is his apologetic to what he's getting ready to say. He's like, I'm, and I'm gonna say it not because I, I, I'm here to just like glorify myself. Like that's that what, what, what's not gonna happen in this conversation is uh, Jesus is gonna glorify himself. And that's the point of it. Actually, Jesus, right here, he's defending the truth courageously. That's what's happening here. They're saying some things that are just so opposite of the truth. And we should take courage here as Christians who live in 2023, that there is a way to defend the truth, to boldly stand courageously for the truth. There's a way to do that. And we can borrow from Christ's example and from his power for that. We can do that. And that's what he's doing. He's like, let me set it straight. I'm not a demon. And on the opposite side of that, I'm actually not here in this conversation to manifest my glory. Someone else is going to do that. Someone else is going to do that. That's going to happen in the, in the fullness of time. But if you think of God's glory as the going public of who God is, that's what his glory is. It's, it's the going public of who God is. It's his attributes on display to the world. That's what the glory of God is when, when the scriptures speak of it. If you think about that, he's basically saying, hey, what's not happened when I get, I'm going to say this thing, I'm going to say this thing. And when I say it, what's not going to happen is I throw off my robe and I'm glowing and I have a sword. And I fly over to Rome and I kill all the Romans and then I take the throne of Israel. That's not what's happening, right? Like that, that's sort of the spiritual tone of what, what he's saying here. But th it's tense, it's tight. It's like this thing is brewing and it's like there's no other section of the gospels that has more pressure and conflict and accusations against Christ. So he's standing up to say, hey, here's what's true. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to straighten that out and I'm actually not going to do what maybe the Jews would like me to do if they knew and believed I was the Messiah. Verse 56, your father Abraham, he rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Like this entire, like this, this little section right here, there's an entire chapter in Romans chapter four you could read that sort of is kind of like Paul does commentary right here on this. So you could, you could read that. He expands on the conversation around Abraham and the, and the Jews and his righteousness. Let me just read one verse. This is verse 13 of Romans 4. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world didn't come through the law, 
but through the righteousness of faith. The faith that Abraham had and the flow of the covenant of Abraham, their father, was through the spiritual lineage of faith. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. It's, it's not through the physical lineage of DNA and works according to the law. That's not how faith and righteousness and the covenant of blessings flows. And Jesus is making it clear. He's making it clear. Thank God. He's making it clear. It's just not for the Jews only. It's what God has done, what he has always done in the covenant is that through faith, and Jesus is like, Abraham, he saw this day. He saw, he put his faith, not in the law, not even in what God said to him in there. He, he took what God said to him. He saw the promise. He, he looked forward and he longed for the day of the Messiah, for him to come. That's where faith comes from and righteousness and right standing before God comes from. Jesus is saying, I'm not playing with new rules here. I'm not playing with new rules. God hasn't changed things. Like, I'm not playing with new rules. This is how it's always been. And then he says the phrase, verse 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. I am. Jesus uses in the words, I am, he uses the divine name of God. It's the name that was revealed to Moses on the mountain in reference to God himself. And it was a clear claim that Jesus made. Listen to me. Jesus in saying, I am, made a clear claim to deity. Clear. For all the TikToks and the silliness in society that Jesus never claimed to be God is foolish. C.S. Lewis said he's, he's either a, the Lord, he's a lunatic, or he's a liar. You decide. You decide. But he made a clear claim to deity here. To a Jew, it can't be taken any other way that Jesus said, listen, let's stop talking about all this stuff. I'm God. I am he. I am the eternal one. I always was. I always will be. I am. And he essentially answers once and for all the, ver- the question in 53, where they ask him if he's greater than Abraham. He's like, yeah, I'm greater. I am greater him. I am the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Abraham. So they picked up a stone to throw at him, to take his life, because there's nothing worse than one could say. There's nothing worse. It far eclipses the offense of any mother's joke. There's nothing worse that could, that could be said. No more words. They picked up rocks. Their only solution was to take his life by the sharpness of the edges and the force of their throw. But Jesus was not quite ready to die. He still had some work to do. I think I want to make three observations. I had two until I got up here. And then uh, during worship, I, I sort of had a third. We'll see if a fourth arrives. One, I want you to notice that Jesus is no longer speaking to the Pharisees. Um, 
Maybe in our minds as we went through the passage together, we were sort of thinking he was talking to the Pharisees and the high priests and the, and the religious rulers. He's not. He's actually talking to the people that just believed in him. That, that cuts the room, doesn't it? He's actually talking to the people. Now, are there Pharisees there? Probably. Are there people who don't believe in him? Yeah. There's actually every kind of person there, probably. And there's every kind of person here. In the, in the pronunciation of the gospel every day, every Sunday, there's people here that are far off from God, don't know God, never heard the gospel. There's people who have heard the gospel over and over and over, but haven't heard it. They haven't heard it. There's people who've heard the gospel, whose lives have been chained, who, who, who've, who've, who've got into the water, made the public de declaration of faith, experienced life transformation, and yet they're still struggling with who Jesus is in obedience to him. How do we respond to God's word here this morning then? If there's people in this crowd that actually believed in him a minute ago and they're picking up a rock in the next moment, what does that mean about the human condition and our need for God's grace and our need for clarity in the gospel and our need to build our lives around Jesus and love Jesus and his word? So that's one. Two, you cannot count on my faith. You cannot count on your pastor's faith. You cannot count on our combined faith. You cannot count on your parents' faith. You cannot count on that. You cannot count that your father's bold, beautiful faith passes to you. You can't. You can't count on sitting in a pew. You can't count on paving tithes. You can't count on your service to the body of Christ. You can't count on your social involvement in society. You can't count on your good looks. You can't count on how you behave and the taxes you pay. You can't count on your political disposition because you think it's more holy than the next one. You can't count on anything in life that brings you identity other than the adoption as sons that comes through Jesus Christ. You can't count on it. You can't count on it. My faith is going to be in Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. It's going to be in that or nothing. All our righteousness comes from faith in Jesus. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. That he lived a perfect, beautiful life in which he spoke bold truth. He helped people. He loved the world around him. He spread the gospel. He spread the love of God. He initiated his father's kingdom. He only did what God wanted him to do. He boldly went to the cross. He said the things he needed to say. And he died for saying those things. And he laid down his life. They didn't put him on the cross. He laid down his life for you. He laid down his life for you. And three, three, Jesus is not just correcting error in this passage. He's not just helping bad theology. He's not just defending himself. What, what Jesus is doing, listen, what he, Jesus is doing is what, what I said at the beginning. He sees people who are enslaved to sin. And he's offering them freedom. 
He's, he's not just some neat Nick theologian that just likes to, you know, write a lot of words and get things, you know, ordered right. Like, no, he sees a world that has chosen sin, who has chosen rebellion, who has chosen death, and he wants to bring them alive again. All we have chosen, we have chosen a fate apart from God, rebellion to God and deserving of the wrath of God. We have chosen that. And yet God wants to save his people. He wants to reach into the, to the darkness and to the lostness and say, hey, listen, everyone who's living apart from me, you're enslaved to sin. And I want to bring you freedom. I want to bring you freedom from that. And everyone who, who hears my word and comes to the gospel will be set free. And that's true today. As we've heard one of the greatest quotes in human history, and we've heard the response of the people who heard it that day, is your heart in the same place as verse 43, having heard the gospel, do you find yourselves unable to hear it, to bear it? Or do you rejoice in faith in hearing the gospel proclaimed this morning? Like Abraham, your father, do you find yourself rejoicing at seeing the glory of God proclaimed in Christ? May we experience that gladness forever here. May we experience it week to week. May you experience it beyond what happens in four or five hours from now. May you experience and may it even eclipse wherever we might go together this day. May it eclipse that the glory of God is the best thing in this world to see. We only see it through the face of Jesus. And when we see it, we transform from one degree of glory to another. Would you stand with me? Father, we ask you as we uh, come this morning to the table to, to partake of the, the bread and the juice. Lord, we ask for the clear understanding of that sacrifice this morning. Lord, as we take the bread and we dip it into the juice this morning, I pray for just a clear revelation of the beauty, the wonder, the love, the freedom that comes from faith in you. Lord, we ask that. God, we know that this is a big world and we know that like even this week there was a, a terrible earthquake and tens of thousands of people lost their lives. And there's like bodies of Christ all over the world that are laboring to meet needs. So Lord, we, we even want to just like point some of the energy we find in ourselves today in prayer and ask you to bless the body of Christ across the world this morning. That you would you would do miraculous things in the midst of darkness and pain and tragedy for brothers and sisters in Turkey and Syria and other parts of the world, God, that are just experiencing tragedy and darkness. God, we, we pray for them. Lord, may the gospel move. May Christians speak the truth and live it 
and push back darkness wherever they are. We love you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We practice.